0: Hi, I'm Tyra G., your host of Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. Welcome again to our virtual global gathering of phenomenal women and all of you who love them. Yes, you, mothers, daughters, grand and great grandmothers, fearsome and generous, humble and honest in pursuit of new possibilities and purpose. You know, here we keep it deep and we come up strong. For those of you joining us for the first time each month we explore a new theme it's inspired by you Uh uh-huh i said you we bravely walk into places where tradition has taught us there are some things we just don't talk about but not at this table and no matter how hard judgment knocks it will not get in beloved here we live beyond the wreckage Every week, we experience, educate, encourage, and empower each other. We share some aha moments and stories that have been left in our pockets for too long. Every week, we start right where we are. I am so excited about how the show is progressing. We're celebrating the ninth month of proof that dreams can come true. Frankly Speaking with Tyra G is one of my most Precious dreams. I thank God for every remembrance of you and your gifts of ideas, your presence, and your encouragement. You know, I can't do this show without you, right? Thank you so very much. You're listening to Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia, on your TV, computer, or mobile device. And we are webcasts worldwide on the internet at www.radiofairfax.org Every Saturday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. But should you miss us, don't worry. You can catch our podcasts on YouTube. Just key in, frankly speaking, with Tyra G. And if you feel like connecting with me offline, you know I like that especially, right? It's easy. Email me at tyra at tyragarlington.com Thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you, Courtney Nero, for composing and performing our Frankly Speaking theme song. And for naming it, I'm Listening. This month's introductory question is, So what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, this question we ask children and adults all the time. We grow up getting clues as to who we should be from significant others and multimedia images and stories. We begin in Once Upon a Time, and we have a goal of living happily ever after. Somewhere between the ages of 3 and 10, we seem to be drawn to the land of superheroes. Did you know that 37% of children ages 3 to 10, when asked what they want to be when they grow up, say, I want to be a superhero. The American culture, the concept of the future self is critical. It's required. It drives us to improve, to become richer, more successful, happier, a happier version of who we are now. It keeps us from getting blinkered by the world we grew up in, allowing us to see into other potential worlds, new and different concepts, infinite other selves. But the future self can also torture us at mocking us for who we have failed to become. Now, if you doubt that we arrive in this world with gifts and as a gift, pay attention to an infant or a very young child. They arrive in this world as this kind of person or that or that or that. They don't show up as raw material to be shaped into whatever image the world might want them to take. They arrive with their own gifted form, with the shape of their own sacred soul. Biblical faith calls it the image of God in which we are all created. Thomas Merton calls it true self. Quakers call it the inner light or that of God in every person. The humanist tradition calls it Identity and Integrity, well no matter what you call it, it is a pearl of great price. Our inclinations and proclivities were planted in us at birth. They are our vocational and spiritual desires and fascinations to do this rather than that. When we pursue them, we find personal fulfillment, courage and authenticity, creativity and love. When we gift them, we become torches illuminating the world. Our theme this month is what you think you know. And this week, we're going to look through a lens of public education. The origins of the concept. How does it work or not? Who decides? How much, how, how do we even know if it's successful? I hear you. Tyra, that's big, and it is. It's much more than 58 minutes. But let's at least get our feet wet. To create a common thought space for our time together, let's review the operational definition of public education. The term public education means education that is provided at public expense under public supervision and direction, and without tuition charge. And as elementary school or secondary school education, it does not include any education provided beyond the 12th grade. So to say it in another set of words, a public school is an institution, free and open to all on equal terms, organized and maintained, as one of the institutions of the state, generally limited to grammar schools or high schools. Now, here's the thing. This just didn't happen. You know, when you let your child out in front of the school or you put them on the school bus or they walk them to school, please understand what they are going to experience just didn't happen. It was not an event. It was a process. I was doing research for the show, and I came up with a list of events. I'm not going to bore you with all of them, but please understand that as early as 1647, the General Court of Massachusetts decided that every town that had 50 families should have an elementary school. Thomas Jefferson, 1779, decided there should be two tracks of learning, those for the label labored class, and those for the learned class. Interesting, huh? 1785 in Ohio, every township had a school. I'm going to skip down here to 1830. Most southern states had laws forbidding teaching people in slavery to read. In 1848, reform schools came into existence for those refusing to attend public schools. In 1864, Congress makes it illegal for Native Americans to be taught in their native language. Then we have a span of time from 1865 to 1877 when African Americans mobilized to bring public education to the South for the first time. Then we move into, and I'm sure you've heard this, the Reconstruction Era, where whites regain control and lay foundation for legal Segregation. Then, now this is this is interesting. I want you to pay attention because in 1876 there was a suit bought brought by Plessy versus Ferguson. Now this is this is what I want you to catch. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled that Louisiana can have separate but equal railroad cars. And you say, well, Tyra, what's that got to do with education? The fact that it was the federal government meant that it recognized segregation as legal. So then the southern states began to pass laws requiring racial segregation in public schools. Like I said, it wasn't an event, it was a process But now here's one we don't often hear at all. In 1905, the United States Supreme Court extends public education to Chinese. Hmm. 1917, vocational education. 1954, and most of us have heard about this, the Brown versus Board of Education of Topeka. And this is finally where it was declared that separate, was not equal so the interstate commerce commission then ruled that interstate rail and bus carriages had to be integrated well guess what we're at the supreme court level so it means the same thing for education what we have to understand however that's legislation the one thing i have learned is you can legislate behavior but not attitudes and so even though we've said We want to integrate, and we want to provide these services to all. There are nuances. There are things that we don't always talk about that happen that keep them unequal. And that brings us to our topic for today. So after our commercial break, I'm going to introduce you to someone who has walked the path of creating educational change at the state level. I think you're going to enjoy this interview. You stay close now. And we are back. Let's talk. I want to present to you our guest for today, Mr. Gary Holland, president at G.H. Holland & Associates, LLC, in Indianapolis, Indiana, also creator and publisher of This Historic Journey, and we're going to uh, walk into that space more thoroughly a little later. Those were titles. But my experience talking to Gary this past week, I came up with some other attributes I want to share. I see him as a game changer, a trailblazer, a risk taker, committed to the truth. And when I say committed to the truth, the journey he's walked has taken four years to implementation. But first, let's find out who Gary is personally. Gary, hi. Hi.
1: Good day, Tyra. How are you today?
0: I am blessed to have you with me, and it's still oh. winter in April. <laughs> well,
1: no well, nature has its way it
0: does indeed it's hard to
1: understand it
0: Gary, tell us a little yes. bit about uh how you became who you are and got committed to the space that you walk in now um Just talk to us for a little bit.
1: Well, I guess my sense of purpose came from my grandmother mm. and my mother, mm-hmm. who instilled a strong sense and purpose of knowing myself. Who am I? Mm-hmm. Beyond just my name. And it started at an early age. And that's when I began to, as you were saying early child is in those early stages you begin to dream and that's what I did I dreamed
2: mm.
1: I dreamed and I began to see at times as my mother and my grandmother informed me that my thoughts have power and that if I can think it, if I can see it then maybe it can come into this reality mm-hmm. this physical reality and, and that's what happened with me um, not all things came to reality But as I began to get older, I realized that my thoughts carried me to this day. Hmm. It was like being able to see my life but not know that what I was thinking would come forth. Hmm. And no matter what my circumstance was, if I could think myself out of that circumstance and I can see that circumstance being changed, it changed.
2: But, mm-hmm. go ahead,
1: but that was not possible if I had not had a connection, and that connection started at an early age with understanding the Creator
2: mm-hmm. and
1: understanding that, yes, there is a power greater than myself that lives within me,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that I had to, as I got older, understand what voice am I listening to? And to be able to experience when I listen to one voice, what would happen? If I listen to another voice, what would happen? Then I learned at an early age, I need to sit quiet. And later I found it was called meditate. So as I began this journey, I realized that my thoughts at times, became like a monkey mind. The monkey mind when, back in the day, for your viewers who remember, the radio had a dial.
0: Yes, it did. And,
1: that, and the dial allowed you to tune in to a station. Mm-hmm. But at times, as I was growing, I had no dial. My thoughts were racing up and down. And then as I began to get quiet, I noticed that my thoughts became calmer, and I became calmer, and I uh, created a dial where I could stop and listen. Although my life had ups and downs, as we all do,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: I learned about a word called peace. And as long as I could have peace in my mind as I was growing, although, again, there was ups and downs, I was able to navigate better. Mm -hmm. And it's still up and down. But as long as I have peace, I learned that at an early
0: age. um, I'm listening, I think, probably at three levels. I'm listening with my head, and I'm listening with my heart. Um, Something I thought was extremely, uh, well, it, it resonated with me Extremely, which was thoughts have power. And also when you said, I had to decide what voice I'm listening to. And so often uh, young people today have so much interference, you know, uh, so much stimulation, so many voices. It's difficult for them to navigate and find the one to dial in, I guess is what you said, to, to, to tune in. And... What, what was it, a hero, a shero, somebody uh, along the way besides grandmother and mother that helped you quiet yourself to tune in? Were there other people involved?
1: Yes, uh, my father, but my father, and my brother, uh, someone outside of my family unit that became a hero, and I learned more about him was Dr. Martin Luther King. Okay. at an early age.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And when uh, I began to read about Dr. King's messages
2: mm-hmm.
1: and his humanity and his ability to uh, overcome the difficulties within himself in his readings mm-hmm. to be able to, to, to move others that, that that inspired me a lot, uh, especially when I had to leave home uh, to go to school, uh, to college. Mm-hmm. And the person that really inspired me at that time was Jackie Robinson.
0: Talk a little bit about that.
1: Well, at the time, I was an athlete. I ran track. I played football.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was very fast. And... The Urban League, where I lived in Louisville, Kentucky, through my school, was able to get me a scholarship, a four-year scholarship. hmm And at the time, the four-year scholarship came from the Jackie Robinson Foundation. Okay. And Miss Robinson came, and I was one of two who received the first Jackie Robinson scholarship in the country. And I did not know much about Jackie Robinson, I must say. Mm-hmm. But as I began to learn about his story and learn about the sacrifices that he made, being able to have that discipline when those that are trying to throw you off the course Mm -hmm. that you are going to work. Mm -hmm. I thought, wow, to be called those names, to be able to, to still perform under death threats. I don't know how many people can go to a job and experience those things and still be at the top of your game. Right. That inspired me.
0: Even when he was uh, at the batter's mound. Yeah, yeah. He was here
1: Yes. And what really inspired me, too, learning how he advocated for civil rights and human rights
2: mm-hmm. and
1: how he marched with Dr. King. That inspired me to do what I'm doing today. Mm. Uh, those two men and their experiences. That's helped me to see how, at times, I need to be able to serve. To serve in a way that will allow me to have an income, but at the same time, greater is the ability to serve and help others, and especially children.
0: I was was waiting for you to use that, because I was thinking, at what point, or can you indeed find a point or maybe it just became a part of your consciousness did you decide my role my destiny is to improve the quality of life of children when did you become aware that 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 was driving you
1: i guess in my freshman year of college but you know my mother explained to me you know even to this day i said that's what i wanted to do Mm -hmm. when i saw how those who were suffering under poor conditions in the South as mm-hmm. the children mm-hmm. and uh, through Dr. King and, and Robinson those days in the 50s and 60s um, I wanted to do that, but I didn't know how I was going to do that uh. because I did not have great wealth and it takes resources mm-hmm. to really help others uh, so, That became my journey. Matter of fact, when I was in school, I went to, I'll never forget it, went to my uh, uh, political science teacher. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I said, I want a job like Dr. Martin Luther King. And he laughed at me. Not laughed at me, but he laughed at what I was saying. He said, there's no major that allows you to do that.
0: I like that. Okay.
1: (laughs) So uh, I said, it's not not something I can study and become a doctor I said no. This is political science and you you know can go into legal and so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just began to uh, study and research and look at how I could prepare myself. And at that time I majored in media mm-hmm. and began to learn how to take what I was thinking and bring it into a physical reality. Talk and more about that. How, yeah. Well, I learned that it's, it, it's like in Genesis,
0: uh-huh.
1: in, in, in the scripture Genesis, it said, and I learned this early, it said, let us make. When it said, let us make, mm-hmm. I realized it's going to take a team of people or a team beside myself to make something in creation. Mm -hmm. and that production in television and in movie and film is just like that it takes a team of people you may come up with an idea but if it took uh, in the scripture it said let us make man uh, let us do this then I realized that I had to learn how to communicate and get others to try to do what what I see in my mind
0: gotcha Mm -hmm.
1: so Uh, I had a professor, he came from Cornell University, Dr. James Anderson. He became one of my mentors, Mm -hmm. and he looked at the four of us who were always together on the campus. He said, you need to make a commitment. He said, this is the commitment he made, is that you would take the first five years after graduation and go back into your community. And did you? Yes, I haven't left.
0: Congratulations, that's awesome. I mean, it really is, yeah.
1: exactly served. And that was what got me to this point today. Because when I left, I started my own production company, tried to, uh, and I uh, did a couple documentaries with uh, Madam C.J. Walker. Mm-hmm. And then I worked with a black entertainment affiliate within the community. hmm. And uh, I met uh, Ms. Yolanda McGee at the time. And she allowed me or she presented to me an opportunity to work with young people and teaching them telecommunications in an after-school activity. And she had a grant to document the Pan-American Games here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we looked at documenting from a non-traditional sport. So we took African-American children, taught them, about production, took them to the university. They learned Spanish. So when the athletes came over, and most of them were athletes of color, mm. of Pan American, uh, you know those that that the Middle America. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because we 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 documented archery, and the children were learning how to shoot an arrow, mm. and they were so impressed with the children. That the the Italian president at the time, he was the federation uh, president over archery. He took what the children put together and highlighted it, and uh, that became my true journey in connecting with young people and children, and being able to have them think about what they are writing about, and then bringing the ability of technology into reality.
0: Now, I know you have done a lot of things, and we're, we're going to step to that. But what you just spoke about, I, I'm in the midst of that right now, creating something. And I know what you said is true. One, uh, I'm looking at film. And the one thing about film is a huge collaboration. It's nothing you do by yourself, right? right and right. There, there's such codependence on that. And, you, yeah, you have an ego, but the whole point is what is the story? You know what is the end product, and that's where you you park when it gets to points where you know well my ego is a little you know, but the bottom line is it is a collaboration, and I love what you did with the children and okay, aside from that kind of documentary before you got into um the curriculum and moving that through the state, did you do other things like that with children? I love this story,
1: oh uh as far as just mainly with the uh, telecommunications it was interesting, and that's how I learned how to observe children in reading. Okay. Because I would have them stand up and read certain sections when we had theory okay. about reporting, script writing,
2: and mm-hmm. camera. Mm-hmm. So I would
1: have each one stand up, but I would try to go to those who were shy or those who could not pronounce words. And we would break the words down, and it was inspiring to see the uh, the smile mm-hmm. or the, the activation of the child when they were able to read.
0: There's no stopping so, them then. There's none. The world right. is open to them forever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, let me, um, there's so much I want to talk about. Okay. All right. All right. Let's talk about uh, your journey uh, taking an idea of wanting to impact curriculum, okay, and uh, infuse diversity. I know initially it was an Afrocentric infusion that uh, broadened as it got to implementation. But can you talk to us a little bit about that particular thing, how how you changed curriculum in Indiana? Or in Indianapolis.
1: Okay, what was uh, <clears throat> what was interesting when I was working in a media ministry, mm-hmm. the the pastor came to me and asked me to put together a short video on the election of the first African American president because it was I think the the, the election was that Thursday or Friday. We wanted something for that Sunday. Okay. So well, I did that,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, there were many educators in the in the congregation. Mm -hmm. And when they seen it, they were inspired. And they said, Gary, you need to take this to the school system. So Uh I took it to two school systems, one of the largest school districts in the the state of Indiana, Indianapolis Public Schools. I took it to the superintendent, Uh who's African-American. And I took it to another superintendent uh, in Pike, uh, who said, oh, Gary, this is great. We love this, but you just cannot take this into the classroom. You have to have an activities workbook. Okay. So I gathered about four teachers, and we put together like a 28-page activities guide, along with uh, the school. Pike had some teachers that worked on it, too. So it really had about maybe eight or nine teachers. But we piloted the activities workbook and the DVD at the Indianapolis Public Schools. Once he got it, he... Somewhat mandated for all 63 schools to be able to uh, look at the DVD and, and use the activities workbook. But it was a fourth grader because we started with the transatlantic enslavement trade in the DVD mm-hmm. and took it up to the uh, we took it up until because uh, it hadn't quite won the Nobel Peace Prize as of yet. But mm-hmm. yes, we, we expanded it and the child said, well, who were we before enslavement? So the ideal came that we have to go back Mm -hmm. because African-American history is a great and mighty history, but it's a history of a people after they became enslaved. Mm -hmm. So in order to know a people, you have to go back to the origins of the people. And and that's what we did. So uh, the long story short with that, it turned into a 450-page document that took 22 educators along with the Africana studies at the Indiana University, Purdue University, IUPUI, and the education department. So they helped us with the standards and I received some, some grants from the university from the Solutions Center to put together a website. Okay. Uh, so, So with that, uh, was able to go into the school system. But what I found out when the superintendent would place me in certain areas, social studies department, uh, other English language, there was a lot of resistance. Mm-hmm. There were teachers at one point in time said they would never bring this into their classroom. Okay, That uh, they would not. It's interesting because at the time, the school system wanted to get accreditation from Advanced Ed, and when Advanced Ed came into the system, they realized they failed in one area, of uh, seven areas, and one of those areas was cultural competency. They noticed when they went into the classroom there was no a little engagement. They called it a cultural mismatch because majority of the teachers uh, were Caucasian females, and majority of the uh, and males, and majority of the classroom was African American and some Hispanic at the time. Mm-hmm. But at times, I realized that this is going to be a journey because how they looked at infusing our culture into the lessons mm-hmm. and knowing that through research and study, that we concentrated on the emotional intelligences. You know, the the school deals with a lot of academic intelligences, Um, but there's little balance because when it comes to the emotional, there are four areas, and the first area is knowledge of self.
2: Right, correct.
1: Once one has knowledge of self, they can move into the second area, which is management of behavior
0: now what i want what I wanna do because uh what you're doing is very powerful, I want to go back i I was writing some notes as you were talking, and it seems like the pivot was when a child said, "Who were we before slavery am I right on that Yes, okay, so what we, we're saying we is
1: we're in slavery.
0: okay so What you were doing all along was answering a question of a cohort that didn't know. And, of course, we know it was more than just the child that didn't know. So this started you to answer the question, and in doing so, you ran against resistance of a system and that's kind of the 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 beginning i was i gave you several dates and things that occurred so much of that system still lives in what we call public education today so i hear oh, you definitely. yeah so i hear you saying okay what i realize is i have something good here i have something people need to know and i need help making that happen and so far, you've told me you've had 22 educators, you had Indiana University, Purdue, and other uh, institutions of higher education come together and work with you. So now I'm yeah. hearing you say, we have a curriculum, but we have to have it accepted and infused into the major curriculum. Is that where we are now?
1: That's correct. That's correct. Okay. And the curriculum had to be standards-based. Okay. That was, I feel, not an excuse, but that was something that it had to be. So each lesson we had to connect to the state standards.
0: Okay. All right. And that's where we are. So what's going on now? Who's resisting? What's going on?
1: Well, it was so much resistance that I felt, man, in my mind, this was in my mind, Mm -hmm. man, this was a... This is mandated somehow. And when I said that, maybe several months later, I ran or uh, someone introduced me to State Senator Greg Taylor. Mm-hmm. State Senator Greg Taylor had a bill that he could not get a support from. He was in the education committee. The, 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 the Senate here is controlled by Republicans. The House is controlled by the Republicans. He could not get any support from his other colleagues when he had a bill that said African-American and African history be a part uh, of, of state law. Okay. Uh, so when I, when I met him, he was on his third year. I said, wow, has anybody come to support this? Because once you put a bill out there, you know, it's public, it's in the newspaper, so on and so forth. He said, no, he, hadn't got, he had not been able to get any support even from educators. So I said, well, look, I have a resource curriculum. You know, he liked it. Mm-hmm. it uh, he said, well, look, this is the problem. So he had a uh, a, a conversation with another senator who was over He said, well, look, you know, you need to, I call it, soften this bill to create ethnic studies.
0: Okay, so we're going yeah. from africano to ethnic okay
1: yes and i said well okay i said senator i have a relationship with the university so i went over and met with the the asian studies people i went and met with the latino hispanics department and its people and i met with the native americans and i told them what we were trying to do and one of the reasons we were trying to do this Because Indiana has a cultural competency law Mm -hmm. that we are one of nine states in this country that has this law. And the reason the law exists is because African Americans are at the bottom on all high state testing. Got it. They're at the bottom.
0: Got
2: it.
1: So the cultural competency law came into being, but it wasn't really enforced. So we put the cultural competency law back on the table along with bringing the other cultural uh, ethnic groups together. And we all agreed that uh, if this can become law, that we want to start at the origins of our ethnicity, okay. not in the middle at the most heinous aspect and say this is where your history starts. Uh, so uh, we agreed to that. We had to get the data when we went to advocate in the legislation at, at, at the legislators' houses, in the Senate and in the House. And the, and the research and data we used was Stanford University's latest data that says when you infuse, long story short, they took 1,400 at-risk students, 2.0 and below, infused culture, uh, mainly African Americans, their, their grade levels rose not only in their subject, their attendance rose by 21%. They, Their, their, their grades uh, was, were high in English and math.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: we also use Loyola University's uh, uh, data, Harvard data. We have data to support that says when this is infused, the academic performance of children of color, when they see themselves in the curriculum, because the curriculum we know is a Eurocentric model. Mm-hmm. And it was hard for the children to connect because the data shows they don't connect. No matter what program you spend millions of dollars on to come into the school, the, the results are still the same.
0: And that, that has a lot to do with, in my opinion, when you see yourself as victim, when you don't see yourself as worthy, it's difficult to move beyond that into exploring who else you can be in that worthiness.
1: Yes. Yes. So, long story short, we, we advocated, and I was also a member of the NAACP Education Committee. Mm-hmm. So, we took that power with us down at the State House, mm-hmm. and it became law. It passed out of the House 97 to 0.
0: I love it. We were
1: able to. We were able to inform the state of Indiana through uh, IU has a, a business service that shows the population growth mm-hmm. and the ethnicity within the next thirty years that this state will look different, uh, and that the children today and your grandchildren should have an opportunity to understand who who they will be working next to. Or who they will be creating technology with because the the demographic is going to change mostly the people of color
2: mm-hmm. in some
1: of these counties not all counties but there should be an understanding but more importantly the children will be able to see their themselves reflected in learning in math and science and social studies like for example we have a lesson in math that deals with uh, the pythagorean they call it the Pythagorean theory, A squared plus B squared equals C squared.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But Pythagoras, when we have children research who Pythagoras was, a Greek, mm-hmm. but there was a person that existed 2,500 years before Pythagoras named Imhotep, who built the step pyramid that's still standing today that used that theorem.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So so when children are able to see, oh, we did have something to do with math.
0: And Now
1: when you look at the, the square base of a pyramid and its size, and when you add those square base and sides together, it equals 3.14, and that's pi. Yes. So our ancestors found the circle within the square.
0: Exactly. Okay? So yes. when children
1: are able to see that, we call this a corrective curriculum.
0: Corrective, corrective curriculum. Recostment. Okay.
1: Yes. It just corrects what has been told by those who have conquered and colonized. That history is their story. But now we are able to assist in correcting. We're not saying we're so better. We're just correcting the
0: process. Well, I think but as well, going, you're, you're saying as well, we had something to do with where we are. So it's all of us. And sometimes we were there ahead of the game. And... Look. That's important for our children to understand. You told me Tyra, a couple of facts that I want you to share that have to do with a, gamma rays. And
1: well, even before the gamma rays. Okay. Uh, Tyra, uh, well, I try to lead off in the in-service of professional development. <clears throat> I at times say I don't like the word Black History Month. Okay. Because our contributions are not limited to a month, and Black History, it sounds like it happens somewhere else, and you're bringing it in. Okay, it's like it's happening isolated events. So I start out with, "Do you know who Emmett McHenry was? Mm-hmm. Wh- who is that?" And there's no hands that raise. Mm-hmm. I say, "Well, who is Henry T. Sampson?" No no hands raised. And Philip M. No one raised their hand. So Emmett McHenry created Still Living, the dot com, the dot net, the dot info, the domain names. He created that in the 80s. Okay. With, for the government. Um, he was not able to but how can I say he was not able to create the foundations to handle the contracts, the million dollar contracts coming from the government. Mm -hmm. So he had to sell his company for $4.8 million Mm and other personal debt. The company that bought that was Verisign, V-E-R-I-S-I-G-N. I -I I remember them in in my domain name Mm -hmm. and Verisign within one year was able to sell the company on Wall Street, for $21 billion. And, and, I'm, and I'm asking people to research this. Don't take my word for it. Emmett mm-hmm. McHenry. So the other gentleman, Henry Key Sampson, I uh, was able to uh, create or see how gamma rays could be used to improve the cell phone. And that's how we're able to have cell phones today because cell phone was a big block. Back in the day, it looks like a big uh, walkie-talkie, and you had to be mobile in your car or have an antenna. But it wasn't until Henry T. Sampson uh, came up with the gamma rays. And, and Philip, he was able to create what they call the supercomputer. To be able to, you click, and, and that's a lot of math and understanding how to connect billions of of of, of things together so that you connect so you have three people who have improved and i asked our, our, our country is this black history or american history
0: good okay It's good. american history it's american history that's right you that just haven't
1: to... been including us mm-hmm. and it's relevant for today for a child to see the importance of the knowledge that they have within themselves
0: absolutely Absolutely. I want you to say those two names again so that people who may be thinking, What? Write it down. Check it out.
1: Right, that's that's image McHenry.
0: And that's our dot com. They can just put that down as a reminder. Yes. And Henry.
1: Henry T. Sampson.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And now, the other is Philip, Uh P-H-I-L-L-I-P, Emagwale, E-M-E-A-G-W-A-L-I.
0: And?
1: And 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 I almost forget, I mentioned Katherine Johnson.
0: Yes, 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 yes.
1: Katherine Johnson, um, the African-American female, who was able to use geometry, Mm -hmm. a geometry problem to uh, help uh, John Glenn Mm -hmm. uh, in non-gravity. She mathematically calculated going around the moon, coming to a certain point in non-gravity to return to Earth. And they had to meet this certain point. If not, they would burn up.
0: And I think most people... Have heard of Hidden Figures, the movie, as yes. well as the book. Yes. And yes. Uh, this has been dramatized. And uh, very interestingly enough, we had an astronaut saying, what does Catherine say?
1: Yes, that's correct.
0: And, and, uh, and yeah,
1: the book also mentions that there were uh, many others in this room, African-American women, Yes, call it the human calculators. Human,
0: human computers. Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. We have, we have a lot to be proud of. And I think what, what I think about is why is it when contributions are illuminated and recognized, do we think because that happens something else is less than rather than understanding that just makes all of us more than? And uh, that seems to be a hard concept for us to walk into. Um, I'm looking at the clock. Suddenly, Um, we only have a few minutes. If you had to say three things you want people to remember about what you've talked about, what would those three things be?
1: Mm. I I wrote
0: well. I I wrote down some stuff, Mm. but, but you, you know, what do you think?
1: Well, the first thing is that if one can connect to the power within. Yes. To the creator within. And know that you are connected to that source. hmm That that is the beginning of of living in this life. Um, feeling, you know, feeling at peace. Okay. And it's hard at times.
0: That's one. Peace. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Okay. Peace.
1: Peace. Second.
0: Number two. And
1: the third.
0: Oh. Oh, second. Okay.
1: Number two. Excuse me. I, I believe number two and three is number one. Okay. If you seek first that, if you seek first that source, the kingdom, all things will be added. Okay. All things. Okay, will be added to you.
0: I concur with that. Um, we we have been listening to the wisdom of Mr. Gary Holland, and uh, he's a change agent. He's a trailblazer. I just met him, and I'm a great fan already. Uh, Gary, again, if somebody wants to follow up with you, how can they reach you?
1: Um, this. Uh, Gary, G A R R Y, Holland, H O L L A N D, at the historic okay. com, And you can go visit the website, Um There is a visitor section, mm-hmm. but you can see some of the lessons that uh, we have created uh, that go back to the origins, especially the building technologies in Africa that. Demonstrate. They knew who to come get when they came. When it came to building America, they knew exactly what tribes to come to get. What cultural and ethnic groups? They already assessed Africa. They already assessed the cotton fields. They already assessed the people creating uh, clothing for themselves. That's how they got into the textile industry. So we have lessons that look at that.
0: So, I suspect. Gary you may be hearing from some people I want to thank you for sharing this amount of time I have a feeling you're going to need to come back and for those of you who came in between you've been listening to Frankly Speaking with Tyra G my guest has been Mr. Gary Holland uh, creator and publisher of this historic journey and as I said game changer trailblazer And uh, committed to truth. I'm going to have Mr. Walker take us out on the piano version of our theme. Your seat is guaranteed next week. I look forward to hearing from you. Take good care now. You're worthy. Thank you, Tyra. Bye-bye.